Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, pray, Lord, now as we come to this time of our service, Lord, that you would give us a hunger and a desire for your word today. Lord, let us hear from you. A little good, Lord, if I just stand here and speak. But Lord, we need to hear your voice today. By the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts today. Lord, give us confidence in your word. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We're continuing on in our study of Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Today we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. We started this last week, but uh, we're going to continue it and finish this, uh, this little section here this morning. Looking at... God's Gospel Community Confirmation. God's Gospel Community Confirmation. Uh, Satan hasn't changed his strategies much over the course of the the years. In fact, when we go to the very beginning of the Scriptures in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we see Satan coming to Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden And his very first attack is on the Word of God. Satan comes to Adam and Eve there in the garden. He says, did God really say? Did God actually say? And he said that, he did that to to bring doubt in the minds of Adam and Eve as to God's holy Word. And you know, Satan is doing that very same thing today. His first line of attack is to attack the Word of God. And to do that, he he goes after our confidence in God's Word. He, He tries to bring doubt into our minds as to the validity, as to the truth of God's Word. In today's world, the message of Satan is that God's Word that we have, the Bible that we have here, this isn't really God's Word. That's what the world tells us. This isn't God's Word. This is a book that was written by ancient men to an ancient audience. And so we, it's good in, in that it, it gives some good advice, but, you know, it's really not God's Word. It's just, it's man's Word. It was written by Paul. It was written by Isaiah. It was written by all of these other people. But it was, it's not God's Word. You see, that's what the world tells us. That's where the world starts. Oh, they won't go right for the jugular. They won't tell you just to abandon God's Word altogether, but they bring in doubt. Is this really God's Word? Is this really God's saying these things, or is it really just the words of men? An ancient text written by ancient people to an ancient people. Can we take... God at his word can we take the Bible as God's word or should we just take what we like and throw out what we don't like 
You go to, when you go to university students, when you leave here and you, you go to university, your professors are going to attack your faith in God's Word. They're going to introduce to you things like we talked about last week, the Gospel of Thomas, the, the Gospel of, of Mary Magdalene, and all of these other things. And they're going to try to make your faith waver in the truth of God's Word. They're going to try to bring doubt into your mind. But I want you to see that you can trust God's Word. This is not just an ancient text written by ancient men to an ancient people. This is God's very word. You can trust it with all of your life. As Southern Baptists, we believe that the Bible is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. That's why I say that Sunday after Sunday after I read the text, because I want you to get that. I want you to sear that into your mind. In the Southern Baptist faith and message, it reads uh, about Scripture, it reads, The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired. Divinely inspired. That means they were carried along by the Holy Scripture or by the Holy Spirit, as Scripture tells us. The Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religion, uh, religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. If you want to see why the inerrancy and the inspiration of Scripture is so important, again, that last sentence, all Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. You see, dear friend, if we bring doubt into Scripture, if we doubt the Word of God, then we must doubt the salvation that is in Christ alone. How can we say Jesus is the only way of salvation if we don't even know that this is the Word of God? It is so important that we understand this, that we defend it to its very end. God's Word is His holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. And we don't have to take that blindly. We don't have to trust in that blindly. There is evidence that that is true. Indeed, that's what Paul is talking about here in this book of Galatians, in the end of chapter 1 there, and now in, in chapter 2. He is, he is, he is addressing this very issue. Because in his day, there were those people who had come in after he had delivered the gospel to the churches of Galatia. There were these false teachers who come in. They were instruments of the devil. And they came in to cause doubt 
in the lives of the Galatian churches. And Paul here is defending the gospel that he preached, the revelation that he handed down to the Galatians. He is defending it. He says the the false teachers, they came in and said, this is not God's word, this is the word of Paul. He had no authority to teach you the gospel. He had no authority to say these things. And Paul is writing saying, no, what I am telling you is from God. It is not my word, it is God's word. And he lays out the evidence showing that that this is indeed God's word. And we began this this section looking at and considering that doctrine uh, that Paul explained there at the end of chapter 1, and that is that the, the divine origins of the gospel is corroborated by the radical transformation of the converted life. Paul's very life testified to that this is not a man's gospel. This is a divine gospel. This is God's gospel. How else can you explain that here's this man, here's Paul, who went out radically chasing after Christians to bring them into court, to try them, to have them killed? How can you explain in a moment, in an instant, his life completely changed, it completely turned around, and he went from a terrorist trying to terrorize Christians to an evangelist trying to win Christians to the gospel of Jesus Christ? The only way that you can explain it is that he witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ and his life was radically transformed and think about the the countless lives throughout the centuries that have been changed radically transformed prostitutes transformed into followers of Jesus Christ Drug addicts leaving their drugs to follow Jesus. How can you explain the radical transformation of countless of lives other than this is not just man's gospel. This is a word from God and it comes with power. So it has that, that it's corroborated by the radical transformation. It's confirmed by the radical transformation of a converted life. And now as we continue on, we see that the divine origin of the gospel is confirmed by God's community, the church. The divine origin of the gospel is confirmed by God's community, the church. In other words, Paul is taking his gospel. He's taking it to the church. This is a gospel that was given to him. He received it directly from Jesus, we saw. But he takes it to the church. He unfolds it before the church. And the church confirms, yes, this is the same gospel that God gave us. It's the same message that we received directly from the Lord when we walked and talked with him. And yes, Paul, you received the same word. And so I want to look at that today. And if you found your place there in Galatians chapter 2, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles 
in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring, might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they give, gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, last week we started this section, and uh, we, we are seeing here, what we're seeing in our text is, is three ways that the divine origin of Paul's gospel was confirmed by God's community, the church. Three ways in which the church confirmed that what Paul was preaching was not Paul's gospel, but it was God's gospel. And so last week we saw... First of all, that Paul's gospel gained ecclesiastical endorsement. Paul's gospel, it, uh, it gained e an ecclesiastical endorsement. In other words, it was approved by the church. It, it was endorsed by the church. Paul went to them and he set it out, it says there in verse 2. He set out the gospel. He unfolded it before all of the apostles. He unfolded it before Peter and James and John and all of the others there who had seen Jesus, who had walked with Jesus, who had received their gospel straight from Jesus. He laid it out before them. And you remember, if you've been here, you've been, you've rem you remember that Paul, he hadn't spent a lot of time with the apostles. He hadn't spent a lot of time with the church down in Jerusalem and Judea. He had not spent much time there. A few days, about 15 days, I believe it, was, it says there, that he spent with Peter there in Jerusalem. So he hadn't been with them long, and he has gone off, and he has been pro proclaiming and preaching the gospel. And so now he comes to Jerusalem, and he lays out the gospel, the full thing, everything that he's been preaching. He lays it out before them. He says, look here, guys, this is what I received from the Lord. The Lord met me on the road to Damascus, and I've been walking with the Lord and, and talking with the Lord, and, and this is the message that, that Jesus has been giving to me, and this is the message that I've been preaching. And they look at the whole message, and they say, wow, Paul. Man, that is amazing. 
You, you know, you, you talk like, like you've been with us this whole time. You've got it all worked out. You see it fully. There's no explanation other than this message that you are preaching came from Jesus himself because it's the exact same message that he gave us to preach and proclaim. And so the church there in Jerusalem, the apostles who walked with Jesus, they recognized that this is God's gospel. This isn't Paul's gospel. It didn't originate with Paul, but this is God's gospel. And they endorsed his message. They endorsed his gospel. They endorsed the revelation that he had been teaching and preaching theoretically. Theoretically. In other words, they said, yes, this is it. This is it. This is the gospel that was given by the Lord. Not only did they endorse it theoretically, but they also endorsed it practically in that they did not make Titus be circumcised. You remember the, these, these false teachers, they're trying to pull everyone under, under the law, under the ceremonial law, and, and make people, make the Gentiles become Jews, in a sense, to be circumcised, to come under all the ceremonial laws and those types of things. They want to enslave them to those things. They're trying to make the gospel Jesus plus the law. And Paul lays out his gospel, and the people there, the apostles in Jerusalem, they say, they endorse it theoretically. They say, yes, this is the gospel that we have received. Jesus came and told Peter the same thing before he went out to see Cornelius, that, that, that the Gentiles don't have to come under the, the Mosaic law. Yes, this is the right gospel, and they also endorsed it practically as they had the Gentile there, Titus, and they did not make him come under the law. They did not make him be circumcised. So they endorsed it theoretically, and they endorsed it practically. They endorsed Paul's gospel, not as his gospel, but as God's gospel. Second, the second way that we see that the community of God, the church, confirmed Paul's gospel being God's gospel is they recognized that Paul's gospel, or Paul's gospel endured enemy assault. Paul's gospel endured enemy assault. As we continue on in our text there in verse 4. Yet, something happened, something contrary, something contrast here is taking place. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. Something has taken place. These false brothers have come in. Now that word there for false brothers, it's one word in the Greek, and, and it literally means someone who is brought in, they're, they're in disguise. They're deliberately deceptive. They are pretending to be Christians. They're pretending to be believers. These are false brothers, faux brothers. They, they, they have all the airs of Christianity, right? They, they know the talk. They know how to dress. They know how to act. But they're not Christians, they're false brothers, they're false Christians. They're phony baloney, they're pretenders who have entered into the church. Do we see that today? Absolutely. Absolutely. We see in God's church today the tares among the wheat. Jesus warned us of this. 
He said there will be tares among the wheat. That Satan comes in and he throws out tares among the wheat. And the tares are there to, to cause a disturbance, to, to bring in doubt, to question the Word of God. Yes, there are tares in the church. There's false brothers who, who come in to, to bring in doubt, to question the Word of God, and to divide the church. There are false brothers, and these false brothers, these false Christians, they have an evil intent. They have an evil intent. Here they are. They have endorsed Paul's gospel. Yes, Paul, this is God's gospel. This is the truth. And they're bringing in falsehood. You see, they want to lead people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Satan doesn't mind the gospel of Jesus if you, 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 you stain it, right? If you pervert it. If you say, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus plus works. Oh, Satan loves that. Why? Because Scripture says salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, period. Oh, if he can bring us under the law, oh, he would love that. And you see, that's what these false brothers are doing. They came in to destroy the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ plus anything is not the gospel. Dear friend, if you're here today, hear me. If you're trying to win favor with God, hear me. If you're trying to work yourself into heaven, hear me. You will never work yourself into heaven. You will never do enough to find approval before God. And the good news is you don't have to. Because God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you. He lived in perfect, in perfect obedience to the Father's will for you. He gave His life in your place on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He did it all. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. The good news of the Gospel is God did what you could not do to give you what you could never gain on your own. He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that by trusting in Jesus and trusting in Him alone, you might be saved. But these infiltrators, they come in to attack the Word of God. They come in to attack the Word of God, to attack the Gospel, to attack the revelation given by Jesus Christ. But I want you to see, dear friend, that truth prevails. Truth prevails. This put Paul's gospel to the test. Is this Paul's gospel or is this man's gospel? The infiltrators come in to attack the gospel and the gospel, the truth, prevails. Notice what he says there. As those came in to attack the gospel... Paul says in verse 5, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. And here's the reason. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Oh, it's so important that we preserve the gospel in its purity. That we not waver when the world says, oh, this is just an ancient text written by ancient men to an ancient people. No, this is God's Word to us. 
And it's not just to lay some rules upon us. It is to reveal to us God's redeeming grace through Jesus Christ. Oh dear friend, we must preserve God's Word and its purity. We cannot waver. God's Word is truth. It is the standard by which all things are judged. God's Word is truth. There is no other. God's Word, the truth, prevailed. Paul's Gospel, this, Paul's Gospel stands the test. Here it stands the test as the, these false brothers, these infiltrators come in to attack the Gospel. Paul's Gospel stands the test because it is not simply his Gospel, but this is God's Gospel. God's Word is truth, Jesus tells us. God's Word, let me tell you something, dear friend. God's Word always stands the test of time. God's Word always stands the test of time. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Let me tell you, though, though the world may end, though heaven and earth may be destroyed, God's word will remain. It will always stand. And let me tell you, after century after century after century of Satan's attack on God's word, God's word stands. God's Word is never defeated. You want to try God's Word? I challenge you, try God's Word. Put it to the test. Put it to the test. Put it through a rigorous test. And see how the truth stands up. I'm not scared. I'm not scared one bit. The greatest scholars of the world, put, put the Scriptures to the test. If you're honest, if they are honest, God's Word will always stand. It will pass every test. Because God's Word is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. It is truth. Church, whether we rise or fall, we must stand firm on God's Word. We must stand firm on God's Word. We can't give one bit. We must stand on God's Word because God's Word is truth. So Paul's Gospel, we see the, the evidence of Paul's Gospel being God's Gospel because Paul's Gospel gained ecclesiastical endorsement. It was approved by the church, endorsed by the church. Paul's Gospel endured enemy assault and then finally, Paul's gospel received ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical validation, or excuse me, Paul's apostleship received ecclesiastical validation. Paul's apostleship, his office, his appointment as an apostle of Jesus Christ, it received the church's validation. They received the church's validation. Now we need to understand something, you need to understand something, 
that the office of apostleship was a very special office. There weren't many who were given this special office. The, the office of an apostleship, as Paul received it, Paul was recognized as having divine authority to speak revelation from God. That is to say, he was given authority by God to speak on God's behalf. You see, the apostles, the uh, capital A apostles, those who were appointed by Jesus Christ to pronounce new revelation, they were in an office very similar to the Old Testament prophets. You see, not many men throughout the, the centuries were ever given that, that wonderful office to be able to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, and give new revelation. Now, as a pastor, I've been given the gift and the office to stand before you and say, Thus saith the Lord, and speak from God's Word. Right? If I speak anything outside of God's Word, I'm not speaking the truth of God's Word. But when I say, Thus saith the Lord, and I give you Scripture, and I explain the Scripture, then I'm speaking in the authority of the office that God has given me as a pastor and a preacher. But the apostles and prophets, they were given the authority by God in their office to say, thus saith the Lord, and bring new revelation, a new revealing of the Lord. In the Old Testament, we see the prophets, as God spoke to the Israelites, they came saying, thus saith the Lord. And there were tests that they had to go through. If what they said came true, then that was a prophet. But if those prophets spoke against the Lord and said, oh, well, let's go chase after these idols, then that was another test. They were not of the Lord. Well, the same is, is true for the apostles. They had to go through certain tests, and much like the, the, the uh, prophets of old. Uh, there came uh, with them gifts that proclaimed that, yes, I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord. I'm revealing new revelation to you. They could do miracles. They could do wondrous things, signs and wonders, the New Testament tells us. They, they were gifted to do signs and wonders. And every time that we see signs and wonders arising in Scripture, that tells us that God is revealing Himself in a new way, in a fresh way. And so in the New Testament era, when we see the apostles, they were, they were given the gifts of signs and wonders. They were given the gift of healing. They were given the gift to, to uh, prophesy and, and do these things to show that they are not just ordinary men coming as, as ordinary men, but they are gifted by God to speak a new revelation, to reveal God, to reveal His Savior in a new way. And so the apostles recognize in Paul his apostleship. Notice what it says there. First of all, Paul's, uh, Paul's commission was recognized by the apostles. Paul's commission as an apostle was recognized by the other apostles. Look there in verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential... What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. It, it, this is not just because these are, are leaders in the church, but they're men who are gifted by God because God shows no partiality. 
But those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. In other words, they recognized there that as Peter, who had walked with the Lord, who had been kind of the second-hand man to Jesus Christ, even while he walked this earth, they recognized that the, the same kind of commission that was given to Peter to take the gospel afresh and new to the Jews, that same endorsement, that same entrustment by God was also granted to Paul. He was endorsed the same way. He was endorsed with the same ministry, the same apostleship. Peter to the Jews, Paul to the Gentiles. You see, they recognize his commission. They see God working in his life. They see that the gospel has been revealed to him. The new word from the Lord has been revealed to him just like it had been revealed to Peter. They recognize his apostleship and they recognize his commission by the Lord. Second, they see the Holy Spirit's work and they acknowledge it. The Holy Spirit's work is acknowledged in your handout. The Holy Spirit's work is acknowledged. They see the work of the Holy Spirit working in the life of Paul. For he who worked through Peter for his apostleship to the circumcised worked also through me or mine to the Gentiles. Paul's doing the same kind of signs and wonders that Peter did. He's been given the same message, though he has spent very little time with Peter thus far. He has been given the exact same message that Peter had been. They recognize that the Holy Spirit is working in the life of Paul for his apostleship to the Gentiles. Third, there's Community, his community validation is then sealed. Community validation is sealed. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, the work of the Holy Spirit given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They were commissioned. They, they were sealed by the community of faith. The church validated their ministry. Now, in today's time, we have an ordination service. Now, in ordination, when I was ordained to be a pastor, it, it involved a few things, right? It involved a few things. First of all, a church recognized in me. I didn't just come to this. I, I felt God's call in my life. I felt like God was leading me into the pastorate. He's calling me to preach. But I didn't just come to that, that on my own. The church recognized those gifts in me. They, they looked at me and they, they saw how I was being led by God and they recognized, yes, yeah, yeah, you're being called to the pastorate. You're being called to the ministry. They recognize that. And that's what the ordination service is. That's the church saying, yes, we recognize these gifts in your life. 
And they ordain the pastor then for the work of the ministry. They come and they, they test him. And then they, they lay their hands upon him. They pray for him. And they ordain him for the ministry. A uh, very similar thing is taking place here in our text. They recognize the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of Paul. And so with the right hand of Christian fellowship, they validate Paul's commission as an apostle of Jesus Christ. We approve. We see the work of the Lord in you. Yes, you are one of us. Go to the Gentiles. And since this is kind of like a, a, similar, a little ordination service for Paul. We can trust that the message of Galatians, as well as all the rest of Paul's writings, right? Because this is just one layer. We're, we're focused in on Galatians. But what we can say of Galatians, and, and this is whole, Paul's whole argument, right? That, that what I am writing to you, the gospel that I preach to you, and the gospel I'm about to unfold to you, and the rest of this letter to you, you can trust it. You can trust that it's not just me speaking here, but this is God. This is God's word to you. We can trust Paul's message here in Galatians. We can trust Paul's message throughout all of his writings. And when we get more broadly, we, we can trust all of Scripture. We can trust all of Scripture that this is not just man's word, but this is God's word. Because it was given to us by holy men who were endowed by the Holy Spirit with the gift of prophecy and the gift of apostleship. The church throughout the ages have, has recognized that this there's something different about these, these books of the Bible. There's something different about these writings. There, there's a divineness to them. There's a, a holiness to them. The church throughout the ages have recognized this. See, Paul wasn't just a self-appointed apostle, but the evidence of his life and the evidence that the church looked at and, and, and viewed, they, they saw he was a, a, a man point, appointed by God to reveal the Word of God, the message of God to his people. Dear friend, I want us to see today that Paul's message, Paul's gospel, is not, a, not man's gospel. Paul's gospel is God's gospel. It is God's gospel. Paul's gospel gained ecclesiastical endorsement. It was endorsed by the church. It endured the enemy assault, just like God's word endures enemy assault. And his apostleship the authority given to him to, to give new revelation to the people of God. It received ecclesiastical in, a validation. The church validated, yes, yes, we see that in you, Paul. And what we can say about Paul in Galatians is true of all of Scripture. We see the transformed lives of people who are transformed by the Word of God. Because God's Word comes with power. God speaks. And things come into existence. 
it receives ecclesiastical endorsement. The church, the people of God throughout the ages, they, they recognize that the books held in, in this Bible, they're, they're different from the books of uh, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, and all of those other phony Gospels that are out there. There's something different. Those are from men. Those don't agree with God's Word, but there's, this is divine. There's unity throughout, though it was collected over the ages, over centuries, by, by different human authors, yet there's a, a constant unity throughout it. There's, it's a divine book. It's endured the enemy assaults throughout ages and ages. And the human authors throughout all of the centuries that this book was written, they gained that ecclesiastical validation. The people of God validated their ministry. They witnessed the signs and wonders that God worked through them. As Nicodemus said to Jesus, we know that you are from God because no one, uh, anyone who can do such works must be from God. Only God can do what you can do. Throughout the ages, the prophets and the apostles who, who worked to, to reveal God's word, they did wondrous signs and wonders showing that they were from God. Dear friend, you can trust the Bible this book that we hold, this book that we hold so dear, regardless of what the world says, this is God's Word. It's not an ancient text written by ancient men to an ancient people. It is God's Word, and it is timeless. It's not just for them, it's for us. It is truth and dear non-believer perhaps today there are some of you 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 come and and to you this maybe you've been hearing those voices you've been hearing those voices people telling you that that oh well this is just an ancient book written by ancient people it's not God's word it's not divine there's nothing significant about it it's just like all of those other books that are are up on the library shelf there's nothing special about this put it to the test I challenge you today put it to the test read it see if it doesn't move you I challenge you put God's word to the test and see if it doesn't stand firm. This is God's Word. And it's the only word of hope. It's not a message of hope among many other messages of hope. It is the message of hope, joy, and eternal life given to us by God Himself. And it's all to point us to one Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins who was raised again so that you might be forgiven the scripture tells us if you trust in Jesus turn away from 
rebelling, turn away from running away from God and following all of the, the paths that the world has to offer. If you turn away from those and trust in Jesus, believe in Him, put your trust in Him, God will save you. Do you believe? Will you believe? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, here again, Yes, it's about faith. We, we trust. By faith, we trust that this is Your Word and Your Word is truth. But again, O oh Lord, throughout the ages, You have given us evidence, proof that this is no ordinary book. This is Your Word. Oh, the power of Your Word. Though the world come in and try to sway us, to, to bring in doubt, though Satan tries to bring doubt into our hearts, even as, as Christians, as followers, oh Lord, give us faith. Increase our faith. Show us the evidence, the proof of your word. And strengthen us. Lord, if there are those today they're here and they don't know you. Maybe they've been listening to the world and they're trying to find another path. Lord, let them see the only path is through Jesus Christ. Let them know that your word is truth. And let them trust in Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.